Bells, welcome to Team Up Moves. I'm Fiona. And I'm Stephanie, and this is the podcast where we play superhero-themed role-playing games and then talk about them. It is that very same podcast, and we are going to be talking about Cypher System and Claim the Sky. And we've got our guests back from the actual play to talk about this with us. So let's do some introductions. You heard them as ExoUnit Layer Ypsilon 7 a.k.a. Euless. They're also a comics writer, a comics reviewer, critic, and YouTuber. It's Ian Gregory. Ian, how you doing? I feel great now that I've made someone else say that name. <laughs> I was just looking at it like, wait, Ypsilon <laughs> with an I? Yeah, I, I knew I wanted the character to be named Euless, and I got a little creative with my Greek. Okay, well, you know what? It's now canon in this universe. <laughs> That's how the Greek works. Steph, please adjust any classical poetry accordingly. I have been adjusting classical poetry all day, and boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> Who else we got, Steph? Well, we also have Armin Babu returning to Tima Moves, and Armin is a role-playing game GM person on the internet and also a writer for Comics XF, and it is so good to have Armin back. Um, it- oh, I should say who Armin is playing, shouldn't I? The Games Master. Arman is the games master. <laughs> I'm a giant. Yes. Uh, games master, the character, as opposed to our excellent actual games master, Fiona. Oh, cheers. Thank you. We're going to get into it. Before we do origin story, we're going to be talking about a couple games and just to make sure everything is kind of clear in people's heads. Steph, when we say Numenera, Cypher, and Claim the Sky, could you kind of just like give some definitions there about what we might be talking about? today. I can try. What's the difficulty level on that? Uh, well, this is a this is going to be a difficulty four, but you have an asset of me texting you some of this information earlier today. Does that reduce it to routine? If you put in a level of effort. <laughs> <laughs> These are jokes, kids. That was fair. That was fair. Okay. So in the sort of early 20 teens, Monty Cook created a far future science fantasy setting and role-playing game and system called Numenera, and it became so popular that Armin has a tattoo of one of the sigils from Numenera. In 2015, Monty Cook and some friends put out a rulebook called Cypher System, and this is a generalizing any setting, any kind of story you want to tell version of the rules created for Numenera. Claim the Sky, which we were playing, is a cipher system adapted to superheroes deal. It is a book of ideas, suggestions, and extra adjectives and verbs that make it easier and more welcoming to play superheroes using the cipher system. So Claim the Sky is the superhero-specific addition to the general rules system, cipher system, which was created for use in the science fantasy setting, which we did not use in our show, called Numenera. You know, and so when we talk today, I think we're going to be, some things we're going to say just about cipher system in general, but then again, looking at it specifically for superhero games, which may include the claim the sky rules or may not. So with that in place, let's talk character creation with the origin story. Now, Cypher System has a cute little thing to create your characters. And Armand, could you describe how that 
works. What do you do when you create a character in Cypher? This was actually a little um, annoying for me because you have to flip back and forth between the Cypher system rulebook and the Claim the Sky rulebook, which I was not entirely used to or um, uh, even aware of when I flipped to Claim the Sky first, then remembering that I need to go back to the Cypher system for it. Um, But what you need to do, um, basically, is you need to pick a type, you need to pick a descriptor, and you need to pick a focus that's going to give you a full sentence, something like, in my case, I am a... Something adept. I forgot what I uh, forgot what I picked already. Who can absorb energy? So yeah, creative adept who absorbs energy. Which of those is the focus? Which is the type? And which is the descriptor? Um. So creative is the descriptor. The adept is the type, and absorbs energy is the focus. I like beginning with the focus and sort of sort of working backwards from there. So what I did for my character is I looked up all the different powers. I thought which one would be most interesting for a superhero game. And I basically uh, ended up with gambit-like powers where, you know, instead of throwing cards, I throw dice. And everything else was just an offshoot of that. And I think it's worth noting that th- there, are, there are only a, a handful of types, right? There's like... There are four. Yeah. Mm. So it's like a warrior, a speaker, an adept, and a... Explorer. There we go. Yeah. Explorer, which is like, yeah, more of a generalist, I guess. Yeah. And those give you some abilities to choose from. But then, yeah, that the focus there, your who absorbs energy, really is like the brunt of like, this is my main deal. This is my superhero power stuff. Ian. What did you pick for Euless, and how uh, how are you flipping through the books? How did that work out for you? I'm glad Armand mentioned the flipping through books thing because I feel like I need to issue a disclaimer to everything I'm going to say in this in this episode, which is that I will have a significant number of complaints about the rule books that have very little to do with how the game actually feels to play. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of beef with the way these rulebooks are written, with the way they're laid out, with how they guide the player through character creation, and they are especially bad digitally. If you are looking at a description of a power, you will then need to flip 200 pages ahead to read what that power actually does. So you might look at the list of powers that all explorers can get and think, boy, I sure wonder what this does. And if you want to know what it does, you've got to go 200 pages forward and then go 200 pages back and then back and forth. And in a physical book, obviously this doesn't matter because you've got a, a bookmark in there. But in a PDF, you're basically reloading the entire PDF as you jump from front to back to front to back to front to back to the point where you might just want to open your PDF multiple times. <laughs> I understand that traditionally role-playing game books are physical. Everyone loves having them. Uh, even if you never use them, that's half the point. But in this day and age where I feel like it's more likely that your players are going to be getting a copy off drive through than they are ordering it from Amazon, you need to think about this when you're laying out your books, is how readable they're going to be on a computer. Definitely. And I think we discovered like fairly late before recording that there is a site Old Gus's Cypher System reference that uses the open license that Monty Cook Games has been applying to Cypher System and some of the rule books to make some hyperlinked versions of these. So if you are on that website, which has a completely bonkers GitHub URL, we'll, we'll link it in the show notes or search for it. You can actually say like, oh, this is the focus. It's got these five abilities. I'm going to click into one and click back. But it took a third party to do that. And and I think like the Claim the Sky material was only in there days before recording. 
In any case, now that I have said I may be very critical about parts of this character creation, just keep in mind that when I'm critical in that way, it actually I actually like the way this game plays, and I like a lot of the stuff it lets you do. I just wish it was uh, written differently. Ulysses mm-hmm. ended up being a guarded explorer who ignores physical distance, and I was really pleased with how I started concept first in my head. I knew I wanted to play a robot mechanical character. I wanted to play something spacey, something culture-inspired, something a little Gundam-y in design. So then as I was looking through, I thought, oh, Explorer, that makes sense. Maybe I'll be an Explorer. Then I'm looking at the descriptors, and there were multiple descriptors between the two books that I could have gone with. And I liked sort of picking out which one made sense mechanically. And that sort of guided me down the characterization. Guarded, one of the traits, is that you are very untrustworthy and incapable of persuading people of things because you <laughs> you appear to be secretive and suspicious. And I thought that was a funny element that became a very important part of how I played the character. And then the focus, the power I took was from Claim the Sky, the Ignores Physical Distance. And that was just something that fell into place when I was looking at the rules and thought this makes sense with the character I've imagined. I like this sort of exploration focus. So in the end, the character creation felt very natural where I had a vague idea, and then the the paths it took me down led me to fleshing out the character in a pretty natural and enjoyable way. Mm-hmm. Salt friends wish to see more of Oilus. Salt <laughs> friends find parts of Oilus very recognizable, familiar, and in fact lovable, while being slightly baffled by the guarded nature of Salt friend Oilus. Yeah, Oilus is more Magus than Warlock, I'll say that. Oh no! <laughs> Salt friends are frightened. <laughs> um... Stephanie, what was what was your process for Songwolf? I have a dog. <laughs> that actually was part of it. No. <laughs> Just like look over, see Toasty, be like, yeah, that's that's the way to be. I mean, you're not wrong. My process for Songwolf was that I've been trying and perhaps failing not to repeat myself on this show. <laughs> and I wanted to create a character who would be very much a helper, eager to help a sort of supporting character so that the two characters that Armand and Ian brought, who both turned out to be exciting and talkative and multifaceted and quite eager to take the spotlight, could do that. And I wanted to create a kind of a tank character, a character who could do a whole bunch of punching so that other characters could do other things. Plus, I have the best dog, whose name is, in fact, Toasty, and who's going to get a walk right after we finish recording. Don't worry, Toasty, you'll be fine. So had to be a warrior. Mm -hmm. And I tried out and rejected a whole bunch of uh, adjectives and verb phrases. I I know they have other names in Cypher System, but I've just been thinking of them as adjective, noun, verb phrase, because that way you can't mix them up. Am I allowed to do that? Oh, please. Yeah, I I completely mixed them up. Um, And there was an earlier draft of Songwolf that simply was not super enough, that had the same backstory and the same physical appearance, but who was, I think, like an uncanny warrior who helps her friends. And that's just as accurate as just an English language description of Songwolf. But if you go through and see what you get with first level helps your friends and with uncanny as an adjective, you end up with just not enough superpowers for a super game. You're just kind of a weird dog. I mean, Songwolf is kind of a weird dog, but uh, we did need a sonic bark uh, so that <laughs> Songwolf could help her friends by, you know, attacking things. So I went back and got advice from the Cypher System veterans around here and found a focus that, as I believe Fiona said, literally a focus that actually gives you powers. 
but she was she was designed to be a uh, you know helpful companion who takes things down with her sonic bark. Yeah, and I think that the, you know the focus that gives you powers is. I think the first thing that I, I kind of want to look at, because you can get, I think, superpower-ish abilities from your your type and your descriptor a, a little bit. And again, depending on sort of, you know, hey, like like if you're like playing Daredevil or whatever, you know, a lot of that street level stuff you can find kind of anywhere. But it does seem to be that the focus is the main part of making this a superhero. But one of the things that I find kind of interesting is that looking at Cypher's roots, you know, in Numenera, where it's mostly like regular people who can kind of do one weird thing or one sort of interesting thing that makes them an adventurer, can feel a little more restrained and commonplace than maybe we think of superheroes as as being extra and having lots of different, sometimes different kinds of abilities, you know, mind control and diamond form. So. I, I kind of want to get into it and just and, and hear your thoughts about did the focus give you enough superpowers? Did that feel like a reasonable way of becoming a superhero? Um, Armand, can you can you go first on this? So I think what the cipher system does is it gives you it, it, it gives you like you said a normal person who can do sort of like this one weird trick. I think where claim the sky manages to feel a little more superheroic is in the power shifts. Yeah, can you describe those? Yeah, so power shifts are basically things that you can choose for your character that basically give them a boost in in certain specific areas. Like for me, I put power shifts into my attacks and also a little bit into in into some of my intellect skills because I knew we were going to be in like a bit of a puzzle dungeon um kind of, but yeah, I put most of my shifts into things that made my attacks more powerful. So, I had like a very basic um simple attack where I shoot out like a beam of energy. But using my power shifts, I was able to make it what I believe may have been one of the most par- one of the more one of the the most powerful attacks in the game I had. It did up to like twelve damage on its own at one point, which is like twice as much yeah, as what so numerically that's huge. Yeah yeah. 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 And so I think power shifts really help you come close to that. But it didn't really feel like there were anything that really made you feel like like super it felt like you were like like if you're playing like more like a mutant character, um, and not even like necessarily the Omega class mutants, the just the more simple ones mm-hmm. with a fun, simple idea. You you had fun things you could play with, but nothing that ever made you feel necessarily like you were completely over the top. Mm-hmm. At least on on like a tier one or like like the earlier levels of of your character sheet. That's true, and we did do this as as a tier, tier one. one. Uh, yeah. With I think everyone got like one extra little ability. There's a there's a an optional rule in Claim the Sky that's like start a little bit above tier one, like grab another ability off of your type. I think. We've talked on this show in previous arcs about how does the system handle Hawkeye. I think that a lot of what we're seeing here is how does the system handle anyone other than Hawkeye? It's really designed for Hawkeye. Yeah, it, it's great for Hawkeye. I don't know if you can make a Superman. Yeah, and and I think it's, it's also noting that the power shifts are about magnitude. And so it lets you throw your dice, you know, and, and have, get a big number off of that, which I think is some amount of superheroics, but it is, it doesn't necessarily give you an extra ability or, or all, all of that. Anyway, but, but Ian, did you feel like you had the tools to create a superhero you wanted to? I think that I lucked into playing a character type that's very well supported by Claim the Sky, mm-hmm. which is a character with a lot of exceptional, but 
non-combat abilities. So part of it was the ability I ended up using most, find the way, that's just an explorer ability. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was just pretending that that was somehow superhuman. Yeah. Uh, Even though in theory, anyone could do that. Part of it was just sort of ignoring combat. So my character had one attack that I used once and missed, and all of my other abilities were (laughs) non-combat related, which made me feel like I had a lot of stuff I could do. And if we had gotten in a lot more fighting and I didn't have any ciphers, that would have felt a lot worse. But it actually felt quite cool because I'm like, oh, look how useful I am. Once we got in a fight, I probably wouldn't have felt very super because I would have just sat in the back and plugged away with my gun and been like, boy, I sure hope something else happens. <laughs> That's just a, a fluke of how the game ran. Um, you know, Honestly, I'm going to say I'm not going to call it a fluke because <laughs> this was this was me attempting to kind of channel Cypher a little bit, which is a game that's set up to be about exploration that combat is a thing that can happen. But, you know, there it does have a like, hey, you award XP for things that happen in Cypher. And the book is specific. It's not about killing enemies to get XP. It's about discovering things and finding things. So that's what it wanted to go. And so I, I tried to lean into that. And so I'm, I'm glad that it, it worked out between the two of us. Well, th- then you did a good job because it felt very good for me as an explorer because I felt like I had a lot to do. I think that there's some really good stuff buried in the flavor chapter in the Cypher rulebook. It's a way to modify your type, your class. I keep thinking of them as classes. <laughs> yeah. They're basically classes, okay? <laughs> and yeah. I think it's the noun. I think going by the yeah. uh, parts of speech. Noun. And it lets you modify them so you can have the technology flavor. And yes, I'm a technology explorer. That's what Ulysses is. So I want to take the hacker ability because I'm an advanced robot who can interface with machines. That lets you feel more unique, more superheroic, more powerful than just like, I'm Indiana Jones and everyone else is also Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. This sort of lets you get into more interesting abilities. I will say the power set I picked from Claim the Sky had only one power available at tier one. Yeah. So... I could zip through enclosed spaces, and that was it. So I think if if we had played for more than a session or two, I would have likely felt very constrained by what I could do. But in a two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour game, you're probably only really going to have a chance to do that once, and it's going to feel pretty good. Steph, how did you feel about character creation overall? So I character creation in the Cypher system seems really cool, and it made me want to create more characters for more stories and more RPGs using the Cypher system, but not superheroes and not in the superhero world. And I kind of had a hypothesis coming in that despite the power shifts, which make it more superheroic, the system would be a kind of bad fit for superhero stories other than street level Daredevil and Hawkeye fight like the Kingpin and, you know, save their block detective stories. And I I came up with three technical or sort of formal reasons for that. Is this letters page content? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed character creation, but I feel like it, it the system and superhero genre, despite the best efforts of the Claim the Sky authors, maybe it's a little bit of a chocolate and what's delicious and doesn't go well with chocolate situation durian pizza yeah almost everything goes well with chocolate i don't know it's a it's a chocolate pizza situation (laughs) okay well uh i want to move on we'll get to the layers page in just a sec Uh, i do want to talk about gm prep and so what i did was you know read through the rules get slightly baffled in in some ways but um 
you know, the the prep for this game ends up being like figuring out the NPCs and figuring out ciphers. And the NPCs at their very base can just be a number, which is nice and convenient. It's probably you want them to be a little bit more interesting than that. The mechanical soldiers, the winged soldiers, I adapted from the book, and that's why, you know, they had bombs strapped on their back. Like, that was a thing that comes from the mechanical soldier example NPC. The book, unfortunately, does not give a tremendous amount of guidance on creating your own NPCs. It basically says, hey, they can just be a number. Or you can give them more health, but we won't say why. Or you can give them other stuff, and we won't say why. But here's a bunch of examples, and you flip through the examples, and they're all custom, and they all do, you know, wild things. I think that, to its credit, Cypher ends up being very resilient to putting stuff in. And so, yeah, I was like, all right, this is maybe what Batarachnid, you know, has maybe a little bit extra attack, because he's got some extra arms. Kaylee can do these, or not Kaylee, whew, <laughs> Flame Jane can <laughs> do some other things. Listeners, yeah, okay. Anyway, this, um, we we'll, want, write we a, we'll write a newsletter article about about Kaylee Gunderson uh, and explain that that uh, slip up there. Is it, is it called um, the? It's in, in, into the arson verse. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know, flame has something. So so there's that. And then I came up with a list of ciphers. Uh, it is the cipher system. The cipher chapter in the cipher system rulebook is like, yo, this game is all about ciphers, and I believe them. So I went through and basically tried to find the most interesting ones. Again, are setup for this was designed to be a place where you could find weird things that would probably only work once. Like, it was geared towards Cypher. That's not a coincidence. But it was sort of looking through the book, like, what's fun? Hey, having a horn grow out of your head super fun. Yes, and, yes. You know, Steph agreed, unfortunately. You know, unfortunately? You'll get to use that maybe when she comes back. No, unfortunately, you didn't get to use it. I know. It, you know, it was you just had it on you, but... Yeah, so so that's what I did, and it was you know it was it was fun, um, and I uh, I like thinking about the ciphers, and I think that having things that are like I just want to give the characters some weird things and and let them play, you know, I came up with the puzzles, and I came up with them as this is how the calm was supposed to be solving the puzzles, you know, it was made for her, and then it was just like all right, I hope those. Hope, hope my players are going to be creative and and have enough <laughs> tools to do something fun, and y'all did. It was great. I, it was delightful. So. That will end character creation there and the origin story. And, and we will move on to the letters page. And we start the letters page always with a question, what is this game trying to do? And we're going to talk a little bit about Cypher and we're going to talk a little bit more about Claim the Sky. And this is the 11th one of these. So, pals, I'm taking the first question. I finally want to answer what <laughs> yes, this, this game yes, trying to do. Please, I want to talk about Cypher and then Armana, I want you to chime in on some Claim the Sky stuff. But my vibe on Cypher is this is a game that is very clearly in conversation with Dungeons and Dragons, right? I mean, you know, read Monty <laughs> Cook's Wikipedia article. He was huge in on uh, 3.5. He came back maybe for 5. It was, it's complicated. But so it's in that GM does things and it's a simulationist kind of view in that stuff has objective difficulties and characters have relative different strengths on their ability to do things. So it's, it's again, it's in that mold. And I think it's doing two things. It's on the GM side, trying to make GMing less work, easier. It's, it's making NPCs be numbers rather than stat blocks. And then on the player's side, it's trying to make the actual game more engaging and fun by giving you a resource management puzzle, by giving you this ability to have these special things come in. So that is my two my two thoughts on Cypher and sort of where it is. Armand, am I right? And then how does Claim the Sky fit into this? 
You're not wrong. I mean, I I think that's that's definitely uh, a, a valid take. For me, I see it at a slightly different angle. It feels like the cipher system is trying to be, and this is this is one of my biggest problems with it. It's trying to be everything. Mm-hmm. It's trying to be a crunchy game where you know you've got like a lot of you know very specific you know numbers being put down. We had a whole bit in the game where we were figuring out very complicated. Uh, well complicated for me math um just for like a simple <laughs> cipher that was meant to drain water away and the, the the cipher system is a great place to you know for that kind of thing but it's trying to also you know bring in a lot of genres at once um and i think each individual genre is weaker for it in numenera which is a heavy sci-fi game everything is geared towards sci-fi weirdness and that is one of the strengths of it but when it when when you bring in the cipher system i feel like everything's a little bit watered down when it comes to um you know actually for for what the book provides it makes things easier it makes things like um prep easier for the gm in a lot of ways you just give an npc a really cool ability and then just stat everything up to like a simple number. This is a level four NPC. Everything you want to do against them, you're going to have to roll 12 or higher unless, you know, you want to try and hit them when they're flying, in which case it's difficulty six. Uh, it's a difficulty level of six, which is, you know, you have to roll an 18 or higher. But basically, when you're trying to make something feel super heroic, I don't know if the game supports that quite as much. Yeah, Ian. Is is this successful? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this because what actually struck me is how little of Claim the Sky you actually need. Yeah. This is about a 220-page book. I would say the about the middle 90 pages are just about how superhero role-playing games work on a flavor level. Things like, what kinds of powers are there? How are their superhero bases? How should you structure the game? And then the last 60 pages are just their own setting. It's just the Monty Cook's personal superhero setting with sample characters and ideas and like all of the details about where powers come. Like it's it's cool, it's elaborate, but it's you know it's very personalized. It's a source book. It's not a rule book that leaves about seventy pages of rules for adapting your game of Cipher to play with superheroes well, which just isn't enough. There's only about ten extra foci, a couple extra descriptors. It it feels to me like. It it just doesn't do enough to pull you away from the sci-fi elements of Cypher. Yeah. Like, I just think there's not enough rule support to get to a game that works naturally with superheroes. It worked really well for me playing a sci-fi character in a superhero game. Everything felt great that way. But boy, if I were playing some character who just had their one power in spandex, I would have been like, why do I have all these ciphers? Where am I keeping them? Like, does Reed Richards really invent stuff that breaks after one use? I don't know. Yes, just, he it, does. Yes, he does. <laughs> That's actually the one example that works. <laughs> but it, it just felt very unnatural to me. Like, I felt like I was sticking sci-fi elements into a superhero game and pretending that they were always there. Yeah, and and I want to I want to kind of address on the you know come in on this because like we don't talk about rule books that much in, in here, but I will also say I felt very let down by the Claim the Sky book itself. It does have those character options, and, you know, I think that's great. Hey, those are also part of the SRD. They're on Old Gus's site, y'all. So, you know, there is an entire paragraph describing colors that superheroes use in their superhero name, giving example colors such as blue and gold. And, like, that to me 
when coupled with the fact that there is no superhero-specific, here's how ciphers would work in superhero stories section, like, that feels like a misuse of word count. I was definitely hoping for, look, cipher system is about the ciphers. Like, this is some cool stuff. Here are ways that we think it could really work in a superhero setting. And the most, the closest you get from that is the NPCs, sample NPCs have like, here are some ciphers that they might have on them if you take them out. The setting at the end is, there is nothing interesting about that. The 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 actual, like that last piece and like, here's what's happening in New Mexico. Here's what's happening in Chicago. It's like, yeah, okay. I, I actually, I feel like we should run a poll. Like, do people use the settings in superhero stuff? Or I feel like you're either using DC or Marvel or homebrew. You know, a homebrew is like, look around you and then put super people in there. We don't have to spend too much longer on this, but I was hoping for more, here's how to make a supervillain as a cipher NPC. Here's how to use ciphers in a superhero story. There is not that in this book. And and I, and I was let down. Yeah. But coming back to the rule set and this question, these questions of Using cipher for superhero stories, Steph, you were starting to list some off, and oh, so yeah. let's let's start with the first one uh, and kind of work our way through. First, I want to reassure you that uh, as a player, I did not feel let down by the setting you built or the NPCs that you built. They were great. I totally had. I mean, I think like like no question, this was a great session. I think we had fun, and and I think again, I I mean, I don't feel like we need to be like. It's okay for us to not like things, but we liked this. <laughs> yeah. Like, again, yeah. Cypher has a lot of good points. Yeah, yeah. H- however, the, the good points of Cypher really just collide head on with the genre requirements of superhero stories, with the exception of superhero stories that exist at the very edge of the superhero genre because they're basically gumshoe detectives where somebody's got echolocation or space adventures where someone's got a super blaster. And it's it's not just that they didn't add on enough things and claim the sky. It's that structurally, the cipher system, unless you wanted to really just overhaul it and make it maybe unrecognizable, does three things that are the antithesis of superhero stories. One is it leans hard into resource management. If you have something that hits hard and uses your might stat, you are going to have your might stat go down every time you fire that weapon or use those I-beams, just as if you had been punched. That is not how Cyclops' force I-beams from the punch dimension work, and it's not how most physical superhero powers work. And the idea that you get tired easily when you have fights, just as if you had been punched, is a real-world idea and a gumshoe idea, not the game, but the genre, that hardball detective idea, and a science fiction idea. It's also an idea in gumshoe, the game. You have <laughs> pools that you do to stuff the, on. The yeah. idea, that, the idea that, that you can only you know throw so many punches and then you get exhausted and it's not that many punches if you punch hard is the antithesis of even only moderately powered superheroes. This game would have a real trouble handling Cyclops, and there's three reasons. That's one of them. Yeah, so so let's let's open this up. You know, you do have these pools and and at least my thought on cipher is like this is kind of gives the players a fun engaging thing and and a little bit to work with is this as Steph claims an antithesis of superhero stories to be using these pools to power your abilities uh yeah so I think something that would really help a really tiny rule change is the idea of three levels of effort so as as the basic game works, um, in order to apply, so, so effort, you know, takes out from your pools. You get a little more tired every time you put some effort in. 
power shifts can give you free levels of effort. However, you have to put in some actual effort first before you can add uh, you know, free levels of effort for that. I think a tiny rule change in just allowing you to use free levels of effort from the get-go would do a lot to, you know, making you, you know, to, 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 to do like just oodles of attacks without necessarily draining. You could, you know, shoot out, uh, like my character, Games Master, has uh, an attack where she uses a bunch of her speed and I min-maxed and put all of my stats into intelligence. Um, so my speed attacks would, would really drain a lot of me. I could only do three speed attacks without being, you know, utterly wiped out. Mm -hmm. If I could put some free levels of effort into those attacks, that would help a lot. That would mean I could make those attacks essentially for free, like I did with my Shatter ability, which was based on intellect. But on the whole, the system itself requires you to really, really understand the ins and outs of (laughs) min-maxing, of knowing the system, of, of knowing, you know, the really nitty gritty aspects of how to balance your character that way. And I don't think that's very welcoming to new players, especially if you're just wanting to, you know, have fun in a bunch of different systems. It, it, it requires a lot of know-how. I had a lot of experience with the Cypher system before making my character. And I think that's really helped with a bunch of things. And even I messed up with like in, in, in a bunch of different ways there and it takes a lot of work to make a good character feel powerful there. I had the feeling that Claim the Sky was written not for people who were looking around starting from zero for a superhero system to play, but for what if your gaming group really loves the Cypher system already, you've been Mm -hmm. playing Numenera for six years and you want to try superheroes. And if that's your gaming group, Claim the Sky might be a really good option because you're already thinking in Armand-esque terms. (laughs) Uh, Just, you know, watch out when you're creating a tank. I agree with both Arman and Steph. <laughs> One, this is very, I felt like this is pretty beginner unfriendly because I can totally imagine a situation where you're in that first puzzle, like you're trying to get down that, that shaft, right? And you spend a bunch of energy using these cool powers you've been dreaming up in character creation, and then you get in one fight and it sneezes on you and you're dead. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that sort of resource management mini game is tricky because it is a skill that players have to develop. But I also like it because... You know, I my four players who who I love so much are so devious, and every time I try to put a challenge in front of them, they find some way around it, or they do well, and I struggle to really challenge them. And when I do challenge them, it feels like I'm being heavy-handed, <laughs> or I'm like, you know what? And now there's a robot here to kill you, like because I get annoyed. But I like the idea of making players take on the onus a little bit of having to exert effort and pay attention to what they're doing, and not sort of being able to do stuff for free all the time. I think that would be make it easier to create tension as a GM when you know when people are struggling and when they're getting weaker. Mm. But it's also not a superhero thing. Right. It's, in fact, the opposite of Sentinel's RPG, where the longer a fight goes on, the deeper you dig and the stronger your powers get, right? Mm. That is a very superhero mechanic. When you get into the red and you get your super, super cool powers, this is like... Cyclops goes for a jog and he spends the rest of the day laying down in the lazy boy at the mansion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that this is one of thinking about advancement. Cypher is, uh, again, that more traditional, you know, D&D-esque advancement. It's not the same 
1 to 20 by any means, but your character does get better. You get more edge so that things are cheaper. You get more effort that you're allowed to apply per role, and you even unlock some more abilities. You unlock a lot of abilities. You unlock so many more abilities. Like, the games we tend to play, like, Sentinel Comics really does not have any sense of advancement. Hero System has a little bit. Masks has some, but a lot of it ends up being kind of narrative. And there you're playing teen superheroes. And so coming into your powers is kind of part of the whole deal. So yeah, this I think is another way where the cipher system and and superhero fiction are are at odds. Um, because yeah, your level one characters, you know, it's it is more street level. And and I think that if if you are thinking of a Numenera or a like, hey, we're some adventurers who can do a couple weird things, like doing a bunch of stuff and getting exhausted, like that totally makes sense from a character point of view because your characters aren't used to managing their own resources. So as a first-time player, it still fits the narrative. But if you think about, oh, these are more competent superheroes, if you're messing up that resource conservation game... Or not building, right? Not min-maxing your build. Yeah. So I think this would be interesting. I mean, I was actually, at first we were thinking of starting at tier two. And I think that maybe there are probably some aspects of tier two, like more edge and sort of things that maybe would recommend. I was doing, I looked at it and I saw that there was just an explosion of abilities (laughs) at every tier. And I'm like, okay, they have enough to be getting on with. You know, it's sort of the thing of like, hey, you got to get used to your tier one abilities and what you have before you start adding 50% more, uh, at least, you know, for one shot. Yeah. Um, initially you gave us, uh, you, you, uh, for character creation, you, you went ahead and said, go ahead and make a tier two character. And let me tell you, if we had stuck with that, my character would have been unstoppable. Like, um, some of the <laughs> oh, wow. abilities I had to give up, um, over there would have been, Real game changers. I would have been really impressed um, uh, if you managed to throw some 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 challenges our way with 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 the you know the crunchy stuff I had set up. Um, <laughs> which I, I mean, I'm, it, it made a lot of sense for for us to go you know tier one characters there. But a part of me is always going to slightly mourn the the abilities I didn't oh. quite get to use. <laughs> well, you know, you can bring some of these characters. I mean, if we keep doing the show, we'll maybe come back in other systems. <laughs> I oh, mean... yeah. No, 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 absolutely. You know, it made sense for, for, for the game and, and especially for someone. I think that's also a little more forgiving for a first time GM to the system is definitely mm. like you, you can be, you can G, you can do a first time GM for D and D with level three or four characters. You don't want to start cipher system with tier two characters. I don't think <laughs> the level advancement problem and the the way that the characters get exponentially more resourceful as you climb up the tiers was on my list of three reasons why Cypher System seems great, but not for superheroes. And we've now covered all three of them. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Yeah. Yay, teamwork. What was the second one? Resource management doesn't fit superpowers was one. The advancement system doesn't fit superheroes was another. And the focus on single-use objects was the third. I want to talk about ciphers. Yeah. So... Again, the, the Cypher system, Cypher chapter, starts out saying ciphers are the key to the system. And I think, again, li- literally what is said, this is not like me, you know, extra, you know extrapolating, but, the, but the, the pitch in the rules is ciphers give the player characters cool abilities that can be extra powerful and interesting, specifically because they only work once. 
And it's sort of the like, if someone can teleport anywhere in the world all the time, like that completely can derail a campaign, right? That That's a huge shift if, if a player character now has that ability. If they can do it once, oh, that's, that's sweet. That's fun. That's exciting. <laughs> like, okay, when are they going to use their teleport anywhere ability? Like, is this the time? So I really like it from a gameplay standpoint. I'm curious to hear, first of all, how is it as a player? Do you feel like it's it's cool? Like, oh, now maybe I can do this. Like, can I use this stuff? Like, was that was that creativity interesting and exciting? And and once we talk about that, then yeah, we should really dig in harder on ciphers and superhero stuff. I do love ciphers. I love the concept of it. I love that there are just so many weird things and that you get some, I, I love the idea of just being given some random stuff too. Um, you, or sometimes you just roll on a table and come out with something bizarre and have no idea how you can possibly use it until you use a phase shifter to try and drain, to drain a pool from a trap. And, you know, I think it does encourage creativity. I think the idea of ciphers is a lot of fun. I don't know how much it works for specific genres because you're bending over backwards at some point in a campaign to figure out how these ciphers fit into your story. Mm. But the, the ciphers itself, they're, they're just fun for me. Ian, do you want to go before me? Sure. I mean, I think what makes ciphers work, and I love them, is that they are big. I think ciphers would be incredibly lame if they were just like, do a bit of damage and heal a bit of health, but they heal you for a lot and they do a ton of damage and they also have lots of crazy esoteric effects. When I was picking out ciphers to start with that I thought fit my character's theme, the extra dimensional stuff, there were a lot of them. There were a lot of cool ideas in there that I took. So that's part of it, is just feeling like when you get to use a cipher, you're getting to do something that puts you in the spotlight. Part of how they feel as a player is totally contingent on how often you get them. This is part of the GM. Like, if the GM puts you on a good cycle where you sort of know you should be using your ciphers because you're going to get new ones, yeah, that keeps you from doing health potion syndrome where you've got 80 health potions in your inventory just in case <laughs> and you don't use them because, like, what if I need them later? Yeah. So having the cipher limit at first feels counterintuitive. Why are you limiting how many I can use of this game's, like, core idea? But it actually feels quite good because it's telling players... Use them now, use them often, use them all the time, and you will find new ones. So in the end, they felt very good. I was always like, oh, I wonder if this is a situation to use this cipher. Can I use this cipher? And then we get new ones, and it's like puzzle pieces. It goes a long way to making your character feel a lot cooler, mm-hmm. is having access to all of these big, splashy abilities. And there's there's actually a distinction in, in, in ciphers to, to get into a little bit. You're talking about you know the, the, the splashy ones and, and the more mundane ones. The rulebook makes a distinction between manifest ciphers, which are real little gadgets that can do weird things, and subtle ciphers, which can just be like a vibe or a piece of good advice or that kind of thing. And so it's in order to fit in a more realistic campaign, the system says, oh, even if you don't have these weird gadgets, you can still use ciphers because you can say like, oh, this one like heals your speed pool for a little bit or gives you one level of effort on a thing. And I was like, I was kind of being trying to set things up to go half and half on that, right? So if you all had been using your ciphers, I think even a little bit more, Winter would have come in with some tracks from Cat Ears that would be subtle ciphers. Oh. Yeah, but you know, you you were you were using them pretty well, but like not completely out of ciphers. So I didn't, you know, I didn't want to cut in. But I think those are boring, right? <laughs> if it's like, okay, you have a, a, an extra level of effort on one task. It's like, well, but I'm going to do tasks anyway. So this is maybe a little bit more efficient or whatever. But if it's like, you no, know, I have a bomb that can reverse gravity in a room. That's just, that just changes your whole outlook. 
I agree. L- literally, in fact, if gravity is reversed <laughs> in the room, it changes your, your outlook. Super minor and quick gripe, though. If ciphers are the core of your game, why are they in chapter 24 of your book? <laughs> 377 I, pages in, in the game mastering section. Why well, are they it's, in it's chapter climactic. 6? It's, why it's don't the you climax. Just, just show them the players <laughs> early so they know what to get excited about anyway. <laughs> I do have one thing I want to call out. Yeah. Um, just this weird mechanical quirk that I absolutely love that carried over from Numenera. So you can carry more than your cipher limit. It just means that there's a danger of cipher sickness. So you roll on a cipher sickness table. So the more ciphers you're carrying, the more likely it is that something weird is going to happen. And my favorite effect from that table is that if you're carrying too many ciphers, there's a chance that all of your ciphers will combine together into a separate entity that has its own self-awareness and the powers of all the different ciphers that you were carrying all at once. And I'm like, <laughs> that's amazing. And I, I am dying for the day that happens in a game. That is a superhero situation right there. Mm-hmm. The entity is called Oilus. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they have the powers of a bomb that cleans the entire room because that's one of the ciphers, but they also have laser eyes. Love it. Wow. Steph, you're going to say something about ciphers. I was. I love them. I think they're cool. I, the longer this goes on, the more I just want to play Numenera. No, right? <laughs> they do take the focus away from superpowers and the way that superpowers change your personality and your life goals. Because if you're thinking about an object you can only use once, and that's the focus of what you're doing in the moment, you're not thinking about what it means to be you know, a mutant who can teleport. I also have a very bad case of health potion syndrome. When I go trick-or-treating with my kids, I have a bag of candy and they insist that I have my own bag and I never eat it before the next Halloween. It just goes stale (laughs) because I'm just saving it for when they really need some candy. So I love the cipher limit. I think that is, is necessary. I really want to hear some of those Cat Ears songs. I, <laughs> the more I listen to what ciphers can do and how cool they are, the more I think that they are about playing curious, capable, regular people in a world full of extremely bizarre stuff. Which yeah, and and so that's Numenera, and then <laughs> actually we didn't mention it before, but that's the Strange which was the other early cipher system game that is uh, more more mundane, like modern or slightly historical age stuff, but with, you know, ghosts and, and otherworldly elements to it. Yeah. You know what I was hoping this game would do that it doesn't do? I was hoping, I am still hoping for a Legion of Superheroes simulator. <laughs> okay. Listeners, if, if, you have, if you have something uh, to point our way, please let us know. Show at teamupmoves.com. I am completely serious. We have not seen a good Legion of Superheroes simulator yet. All right. Well, I think let's let's close out the letters page because we have a little bit more show to get to. And we do end with a question. And that is, when did this game make you feel like a superhero? And Ian, why don't you start this? I think it was probably when we got in a fight with those supervillains, with Flame Jane and the <laughs> person whose name I always forget. Bat Arachnid. Credit Indy Tan. Bat Arachnid. <laughs> I, I think that that was a great, like, we step out into a fight. We've got ciphers in play. We're using powers. We're recovering. Like, that that felt like a very good mix of what the cipher system is good at and also genre stuff, running across villains. Um, everything else that I really liked doing was all puzzly Legend of Zelda stuff, which felt cool, but doesn't <laughs> feel, felt like Numenera. Yeah. Armand, how about you? So um, it is also the fight, but for a completely different reason. It is because Flame Jane kicked our butts. And what that, it, what, what, I, what I enjoy about superhero comics 
is that someone, uh, especially in the clever fights, one character is going to have this one dumb little ability that makes them an ace in a fight. And Flame Jane had that. Flame Jane had that that um that 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 pack on her back that let her fly about that made us. Her almost near impossible, well, not impossible to hit, but like really, really hard to hit. And because of that one singular ability, you know, if she'd stuck around, that could have been a DPK. I mean, that's not out, that wasn't out of the question, <laughs> I don't think. And I, and I love that. I love coming across people whose entire identities are revolved around this one thing that they're really good at. And I feel like it's claim the sky supported something like that more. It would make for like really fun superhero, a uh, really fun superhero game. Mm. Steph, when did you feel like a superhero? So I felt most like a superhero when Songwolf was interacting with Winter and trying to figure out and like just trying to figure out what her role was. But I did like the Flame Jane fight and I did notice how badly we were getting our asses kicked. <laughs> Me too. And again, I did, I did not want a, a, a fish tank repeat. And <laughs> I think that I definitely... So one of the things that... You know, what they kept in my mind about Cypher is is this idea of you can put in the effort and if something is really important to you, you can succeed on it. You know, you, you put in your resources and you do that. That is a little bit limited for tier one characters. The fact that you could not put more than one level of effort into hitting someone. So you actually couldn't expend your resources to hit her. And yeah, I just made her just a little too hard to hit and did not mean to, but I don't know. This is like this is like her one. This is probably gonna be her one success in the show, <laughs> listeners. So Aww. like maybe let's give it to her. I mean, I liked it. We can give it to her. I just I just remembered what I really wanted to say about ciphers and single-use objects earlier. Yeah. Which is that single-use objects have a completely different feel in a one-shot than in like a years-long campaign. As someone with a bad case of health potion syndrome. I was fine having Songwolf use what she had because it's not like we were going to play Cypher System again two weeks from now. Mm -hmm. But that would have been a real problem for me had Songwolf been a character in a long campaign. Okay. All right. Well, now we are going to move on to ongoings, retcons, and spinoffs. Lightning round time. Remember, the prompt for ongoing is, what's a part of this game that we didn't get to see that you would like to if this were to continue. Armand, can you start us off? I think getting to use XP a little more. And um, we did a little bit. We, you know, we got XP for rerolls and stuff. But I think one of the fun, more fun parts of the Cypher system is using XP to give yourself unique skills, to um, up your effort, to... And, and there are some other things as well. You can buy things like short-term effects. Like, I am very good at knowing all the... at picking locks in this particular dungeon. You can spend, like, I, I think that's either two or three XP. Uh, I, I don't have it memorized, but yeah, you can spend that. Mm -hmm. So you can get like a, a short-term beneficial skill you can send the four xp to get yourself like a long-term benefit so in a superhero game like maybe um you get access to a lab that gives you new gadgets or you gain access to like a man in the chair who you know someone like winter mm -hmm. who who gives you like uh if we didn't already have winter winter would be a great way to spend four xp and and get to use <laughs> through uh through a campaign um things like that so she chooses to take that as a compliment yeah there's a, there's a great XP marketplace in the Cypher system. And I think that's all, that you don't get a lot of room for that in a one shot, but um, it's, it, it's a really fun part of the game. Ian, do you have an ongoing? Yeah, something that we didn't really do, and I'll cop to this being my fault for starting a fight without talking. 
is see how Cypher handles social systems. Something that jumped out to me in character creation is that your three stats are might, intellect, and speed, and there's not really a charisma equivalent. And I just felt like as someone who hasn't played... Well, actually, I played Cypher once, maybe two years ago. I played one session with Armon, set in Krakoa. <laughs> I never... We didn't really do any, like, negotiation, telling if people were lying, trying to convince people of your intentions. I don't know if that's good in this game. It might be, but it's something that I wanted to try out and see how it feels, because I'm just so used to games having some identifiable marker of charisma, of persuasion, of negotiation. Mm. You're actually really close to seeing that, and then Song Wolf rolled a one, and a bunch of water (laughs) fell on you. Those ones. Steph, what's your ongoing? Social interaction and level advancement. Okay, there there we go. Mine, uh, I'm going to say artifacts. So this is a thing that can happen in Cypher System that is... They're like ciphers that you can use more than once. Like, who knew? But it's it, the idea is that artifacts have a depletion chance. So you have a thing and it can do an ability, but you roll a die. And some of them you roll a D10. Some of them you roll a D100. Some of them you roll maybe like a D4. And if you get a one, the artifact breaks. So every time you want to use it, there is that chance that this is the last time you ever get to use it. And, you know, that. That would be fun. Be fun to see this. So now is retcons. If you were to play this game again, or if you were to do a rules tweak or some of the stuff maybe we already talked about, uh, what is something that you would change sort of based on this experience? Ian, I think you're first right now. So to address the Superman problem, as we put it earlier, where (laughs) powers can feel quite limited, I feel like, and this would require a Herculean effort of rebalancing, it would be worth letting players buy powers from from every focus to say you get the you can but you're going to buy your tier 1 power from the flying focus and then you're going to pick up the laser beam power from the tier 2 focus and then you're going to pick up a shape shifting power from a different focus that would let you get your you know your martian manhunters your supermans your characters with a bunch of powers obviously that sounds like a midmaxer's dream so i don't know maybe mm-hmm. you assign points to different powers and let you modify them and oh god i've just invented the hero system again <laughs> <laughs> no we're stuck in the swimming pool forever. Yeah, if you, if you thought you you liked multiplying by three, what do you hear about fractions during <laughs> one quarter power cost? But the the idea of just being there are so many cool powers in all of these focuses, and your your character is just going to feel really limited for a long time. And it's certain characters are just impossible. And when you're playing a superhero game, it feels really bad to have a cool superhero idea and then just have to give it up because it doesn't work. Yeah. R.I.P. Dr. Dr. Galen. (laughs) (laughs) My vomiting-based superhero who may never see the light of day. (laughs) Someday. I'm glad you remember him. Oh, Dr. Galen lives in my head rent-free. He just provides medical care. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) Keeps my humors aligned. Stephanie, you got a retcon? Yeah. Ian wants to be able to build Superman and Martian Manhunter and all these heroes who have, like, six unrelated Silver Age powers. I just want to be able to play Legion of Superheroes and have the Invisible Kid turn invisible without getting tired and, you know, (laughs) Phantom Girl pass through objects without running out of speed. I want it to be easier for low-level characters to use their powers effectively and consistently without having to resource manage each time they do the thing that makes them super. All right. 
Arman. So yeah, I mentioned the, the slight tweak to PowerShift's earlier, which I think could be a simple but really effective change. So if, if you're homebrewing Claim the Sky, I, I would recommend go with that where you can use free levels of effort, you know, right off the bat. But what I would also, I, I want to build a little bit on what uh, Ian was saying on, on being able to buy powers kind of. I think Claim the Sky and not necessarily the other ones, the other genres that, that you know, the Cypher system includes, but I think Claim the Sky should just drop Cyphers. Uh, despite being based on the cipher system. Mm. I think it would be more interesting if you could expand the XP market so that you could buy additions to power. Like for example, if you're just if your ability is to turn invisible, maybe you can buy like a minor ability um that lets you either stretch out make other people invisible. Or maybe you can buy a slight invis a slight upgrade to your invisibility that makes you, you know, more quieter, better at stealth. Just let you focus all of your character build on that one power on your one focus that you have and i think for for a superhero game focusing everything on your power uh, on the thing uh, you, you know is is something that's really interesting yes yes i'm just very enthusiastic about what arman said i'm very enthusiastic all right uh my redcon okay maybe this is a little bit flip but uh, i just, i want i want to play numenera that's it <laughs> I, I think that's that's where i want to be that is what I've learned is that I really like the cipher system. I like the ciphers and I want to do it where it's going to be like a, a really good fit. Hey, I run, I, I run games. Just call me. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Everybody, check the show notes. Uh, Armand will GM for you. Uh, he's got, <laughs> he's got a page. All right. Now spinoffs. What can other games learn from the cipher system and claim the sky? What do we want to see in other places? Steph, I think we get to start with you now. My favorite thing about the system that is superhero compatible is the sentence. I like the idea that character creation involves a sentence where you say, I am an adjective noun who verb phrases. And I would love to see, especially for newish players, some sort of psychological or thematic guide to character creation that is that simple and that powerful. Ian, how about you? Counter to Armand, <laughs> I, I would actually bring ciphers forward, I think, because, I don't know, in superheroes stories, how many stories are solved by a random artifact? A lot. Reed Richards shows up with the ultimate nullifier out of nowhere, and he's like, oh, I had this in my basement. <laughs> and how many, how many stories are problems caused by artifacts? Like, yeah, Tony, extremist sounds like a great idea. Just keep it up. Like, <laughs> we used a cipher to solve one problem and then it caused another one when we got flooded by all that water. I like the sort of has science gone too far feeling of ciphers. Same with magic. Doctor Strange has got lots of magic artifacts that'll win him a fight and just as many magic artifacts that will cause huge problems for him. They're the same artifacts. Yes. <laughs> so, I don't know. I feel like a lot of superhero games try to ignore item creation, try to ignore inventing, try to ignore enchanting, because boy, is that a mess mechanically and it can get spiral totally out of control. But like, that's the beating heart of 60 superhero stories is the scientific mm. adventure gadget stuff. Uh, Armand, what's your spinoff? So what I, what I really enjoy, uh, I, again, this is, this is uh, having a lot to do with XP, are GM intrusions. Yeah. I think that's something that the Cypher system has that more games should find a way to adapt which is basically you put your players in trouble 
But not only do you give them like a, a reward for it that helps the character grow, that character, whoever you're giving that GM intrusion to also has to pick out one of the other players and share the wealth of, of, of that growth, of that experience. Um, and I, I, we, we, I think we only really did it once during the session, but it's, I, I, it was just really fun to be able to share my XP with, uh, with, 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 with Stephanie, with Songwolves going like, you know, I'm in trouble, but we get to benefit from it. And I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to build on that for mine. And I think that playing this, I definitely get the, oh yeah, I can see why this, why this Monty Cook guy is like legendary, right? That there is an attention to the emotional state of the players as they interact with the game's mechanisms that I think is, is fascinating and very well done. So I, I was thinking about GM intrusions a little bit because you know, now that we have PBTA everywhere, a lot of this is just hard moves, right? The fact that be like, oh yeah, and then the water falls through is not nowadays is like, oh yeah, you know, she she took a hard move, like that's a thing that that GMs do to move the story forward. I think that of the era of of Cypher and coming from sort of a DD thing, there sort of needs to be an excuse for, hey, now I'm gonna make your lives harder. But as Armand said, it does have that like double fun, you know, I mean, again, it's like if you get XP on a, on a six minus and BVTA, right? Hey, at least you get the experience point here. You know, you get the experience point, you get the experience point to share. Also with Cypher, Steph mentioned that Cypher limit. It's, it's in there to push players to try new things and to, to go wild because you're going to get to something interesting and you know, you're going to get more later. I'm not a game designer and, but it's seeing that way that the mechanisms are reinforcing vibes and turning things that I think that, you know, maybe if you're playing D&D, you'd be really frustrated and upset about, turning it into something fun and interesting and, uh, you know, making people happy about it. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I love that explanation. I'm one over. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, yes. Year two of Team of Moves. Yeah. Numenera moves. Well, I, I think we just need to do two podcasts. One that's just a Numenera campaign now. And, and <laughs> that way we can keep being superheroes using other systems and, and play Numenera. Well, maybe. Uh, that has to go behind my pirate games, but Team of Moves uh, <laughs> plan. All right. So uh, now we are going to get literary. It's time for the back issues. Ooh. Now we're going to discuss some game, some some superhero stories, some comic books, other media that remind us of the cipher system and of maybe the campaign, or excuse me, maybe the one shot that we just played. Ian, can you uh, can you throw one out first? Uh, yeah, um, I'm going to start off of superheroes because I know uh, that Stephanie is a recommendation that I would have made about superheroes. But for me, it's it's Jim Starlin's Dreadstar. Uh, you guys ever read Dreadstar? This is Jim Starlin at his most Jim Starlin. <laughs> there's space. There's not quite Jedi. There's lots of cool aliens and lots of unique devices. And some people have special mind powers. I read this as a kid. It's cool. I don't know if it's good, but boy, is it cool. It's extremely cool. Everyone in it is cool. The characters are cool. It just felt like very cyphery. They're getting stuff. They're robbing places, coming out with new artifacts, getting in fights, running away, charting courses. That was sort of how I felt like this game is meant to be played. All right. Armand. For 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 the one shot we had, you you went for a very arcade like villain. And there was a great, a really fun 
Marvel series that came out recently um, that was just set in Arcade's murder world where everyone's just trying to go through, and they're relatively normal people, so this would have worked great with our tier one characters, of <laughs> people just trying to um, get through um, a, a battle royale in, mur- in murder world, basically. And I think uh, another, the, the current era of, uh, the Krakoan era of, of X-Men comics is actually really fun for the Cypher system. I've run two games, uh, Ian was in one of them, uh, two Numenera games set in, in Krakoa. One is right at the beginning where everyone's, where for, you know, uh, especially the beginning of the X- Ben Percy's X-Force run, where a lot, Forge makes a lot of like weird sort of plant-based organic gadgets, which are really fun. And uh, the the Sins of Sinister event that that just recently wrapped up also had like a like, like a lot of fun little organic items that were made out of mutant powers. Like you know, mm. you would have like a pair of uh, a pair of Cyclops eyeballs in in your back pocket, so you can shoot like little lasers. You would have like just a bunch of really weird but inventive things using the various X Men as basically items. Oh gosh, <laughs> that's incredible. Mm. Steph, you've read some comic books. I have. I'm just I, I'm I'm not caught up with the Sins of Sinister current Marvel event yet, and I'm just thinking about having Cyclops eyeballs in your back pocket. Oh my god. Uh, okay, so we're looking for uh, Death Trap Puzzle Dungeon comics, and also looking for comics where the heroes run around collecting and then using up mysterious artifacts in perhaps a ruined future world or a modern world of threatening tech. So the most, not the first appearance, but I think the most consequential of Arcade's earlier appearances in the Marvel Universe would be Uncanny X-Men 122 through 125, which is that real rarity uh, in the Claremont run, a Colossus-centered arc in which Arcade kidnaps the X-Men and puts them in a puzzle dungeon, which is basically what he does. It's also the first appearance of Ilyana Rasputin, who is a five-year-old kidnap victim at the time. Uh, so it, it does a lot, and it's, you know, a beautiful Claremont Byrne-era story. In terms of future worlds that are full of tech and no one's sure what it does, and we're following some more or less regular people, and the people who have super extraordinary abilities are not people, they're robots. I strongly recommend the 1980s Machine Man miniseries written by Tom DeFalco, drawn by Herb Trimpe, T-R-I-M-P-E, with some very famous covers by Barry Windsor Smith. This is Marvel's attempt to be cyberpunk when cyberpunk was cool. I believe it's also <laughs> the beginning of the Marvel 2099 universe which continues to this day and i strongly recommend it if you want something that feels like a cipher system and then i'm going to recommend the recent series written by eve ewing drawn by uh, jeffo and vecchio and uh, other people about ironheart who is the chicagoan skeptical african-american science genius person who goes to mit and keeps her chicago roots and invents things and i believe she's she was in an mcu movie recently but the ironheart series has gadgetry and gadgeteering ian you mentioned being a arcade i believe super fan uh do we miss any uh important appearances you want to you want to put in there i mean yes so the the uncanny appearance of arcade that first 122 that's pretty much peak arcade 
But the recent uh, Leah Williams uh, Exterminators yes. has a great one, really funny, really fun book, great murder world appearance. And I, I think it gets to, unfortunately, Armand recommended the Avengers Arena, which is the sort of battle royale style murder world story that I hate with a burning passions, a burning passion of a million sons. I hate that story. So if you really wanted me to get into it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Ian, is that is that the same as the Avengers murder world comic that came out in 2022 that I just looked up or is it different? Uh, no, Avengers Arena is a is an older one where Arcade kills a bunch of kids and really messed up the character. <laughs> and then I have not read this 2022 one. I think that what Armand was recommending was the series of 2022 comics written by Jim Zub and others called Murder World. Oh. So there's Murder World Avengers, Murder World Spider-Man. I'm hoping there's Murder World Kate Bishop and Murder World America Chavez, but the world is not that kind to me. I see. In which case, maybe that's great. I haven't read it. I would warn you away if you were interested in Arcade from Avengers Arena, which is sort of classic early 2010s, you know, let's kill a bunch of characters. Isn't that fun? Gotcha. But yes, Arcade, Uncanny X-Men, and Lee Williams Exterminators. All right, well, check the show notes for the details on all of those. And I think with that, we can close out this run. So Ian, Armand, thank you so much for joining us again on Team Up Moves. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me, too. Come back soon. (laughs) I hope to. (laughs) All right. Well, so that listeners know where to find you online in the days or weeks between your Team Up Moves appearances, uh, Ian, (laughs) what are are your handles? Uh, Yeah, once again, like the last time I was on, assuming Twitter persists, I'm at Fission Mail, M-A-L-E, and then my YouTube account is Ein, E-I-N. All right. And Armand? Well, you can find me on Twitter at the very easy to find at Armand Babu. You can also find me um, GMing games at startplaying.game slash GM slash pathways yet unexplored. Awesome. Well, those links will be in the show notes. Again, if y'all want to hire Armand to GM for you, I would recommend it. But with that, Steph, I think we're uh, we're done with another run. This has been just about a year, hasn't it? Wow. I'm, I mean... And we still don't know what the underground mole birds want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, listen to Team Up Moves year two, I think, maybe for some secrets there. Well, with that, we're going to close this out. So take care, pals. Bye-bye. Okay, and that's it for the run. We have had a wonderful 11 months bringing you games. We've got that annual episode coming out later next month. If you have any topics or questions you'd like our opinions on, please send them to show at teamupmoves.com. Hit us up on Twitter at teamupmoves or mastodon teamupmoves at dice.camp. It's going to be fun. Steph and I chatting about the show. And then in July, we're going to be back with the first run of our second season. So make sure you're subscribed in your podcatcher so you don't miss any of this good stuff. This run, we've been playing Cypher System and Claim the Sky by Monty Cook, Bruce R. Cordell, and Sean K. Reynolds, published by Monty Cook Games. For more information about the game, visit their website at moneycookgames.com. Team Up Moves is a production of Fiona Hopkins and Stephanie Burt, copyright 2023. We do love to chat. You can find us on Twitter as at Team Up Moves and Mastodon as teamupmoves at dice.camp. Our website is teamupmoves.com. It has links to all of our episodes, bios for all of our guests, and a sign-up form for our email newsletter, which we send out most of the time between runs to let you know that we're still thinking of you. 
Our theme music is Play by Sleepyhead. Find more of their music at sleepyheadrockband.com. If you've made it this far in the show, you probably like what we're doing. So why don't you tell a friend? Drop a link on Reddit or Discord or leave us a review on iTunes or Google Store. Anything you can do to help spread the word of the show really helps us out. Take care, pals.